Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. The Best in the World Podcast with Richard Parr. Hello and welcome to The Best in the World with Richard Parr. This week I speak to Johnny Mosley. You might remember him from the 1998 Winter Olympics in Nakano, winning the Moguls event and then four years later just missing out on a medal, coming fourth after he tried the dinner roll. Yes, that amazing move. And we talked to Johnny about being an innovator in the sport. We also find out what he's up to. Of course, he's been in many things on TV. You may have seen him on American Ninja Warrior. He was also in Skating with the Stars. A lot of things going on in the world of Johnny Mosley. And we learn about all of them on this week's Best in the World with Richard Parr. He is working on a business now, a snack food business, and he talks about how he can use what he learned as a skier in his new venture. He also tells us about his brand new web series. It's a really good interview with the 1998 Olympic champion in freestyle skiing in the Moguls event, Johnny Mosley. That's coming up in just a moment, but first I want to tell you about Audible. Audible is one of the leading suppliers of audiobooks in the world 180,000 titles for you to choose from go and check them out for free yes i said free that's gratis it means it costs you absolutely nothing all you've got to do is go to audibletrial.com forward slash best and you can check out audible service for 30 days for free yes for free and that includes one free audiobook download. Just go to audibletrial.com forward slash best. It's a service I personally use and I think you would like using it too. All right, let's get on with it. Let's speak to the best in the world. It's time to talk to the Olympic champion, Johnny Mosley. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. Johnny Mosley, welcome to the best in the world with Richard Parr, an Olympic champion from the 1998 Winter Olympics. So great to have you on the program. Johnny, we're going to talk about all of your skiing career later in the program, but why don't you start by telling us exactly what you're up to at the moment, please? Oh, yeah. At the moment, I just got home from my nine-year-old's chorus at school. No, that's, I know that's too inside baseball. I know you're talking on a macro level. <laughs> Uh, um, yeah, 
Yeah, so I do a few things. Um, the end of the winter has just come upon us, so I'm uh, focusing on a couple of or other of my uh, endeavors. Uh, right now, uh, my wife and I are, and a partner of ours, are launching a, a snack food line called IOTA, which is the sunflower seed kernel out of the shell artisanal flavors. So um, it's the first uh, product I've actually kind of um, business I've started sort of uh, whole, wholly from the beginning. So really exciting time, taking a while to get here. And uh, now we're kind of in the, uh, you know, in the sales process out there. Uh, getting people to try it and taste it. So that's exciting. And then um, I'm also just started uh, shooting a adventure series called uh, for the web um, called Johnny Mosley's Wildest Dreams. And uh, uh, it's pretty fun. We uh, just put out the first uh, uh, pilot episode, which we shot, which was me Slacklining in Yosemite, uh, south of Yosemite, in a place called Lone Pine in the eastern Sierra of California. And uh, I went with this kid, Alex uh, Mason. He's a Red Bull professional slackliner who I know. And uh, he tried to get me to do what's called highlining, which is where you slackline across, like, you know, two features you know, a hundred feet up in the air. So <laughs> I had slack line before, <laughs> but it was humbling. It was humbling. So, uh, but we're, we're going to do more adventures. The next one is, uh, that what well, we did a second one that will release soon. Um, which is me doing this thing called flyboarding in Catalina Island, uh, with Bob Burnquist, the pro skateboarder. And then the next one we're doing is, uh, I'm going whitewater kayaking up, up northern California. So looking forward to that. That's uh, something I have never done and looked hard. Wow. You say looking forward to it. To many people, they would just be completely scared at the thought. Do you ever get scared about anything, Johnny? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the biggest misnomer about, you know, what I do and or, or you know, in skiing, even the stuff um, – I, I get I, the stuff that I'm really good at. I mean, I remember, um, you know, my, my original, what I do or what I did in the Olympics is freestyle skiing. So, uh, moguls, uh, is the event that I specialized in, but I was also an aerialist. So, um, and I was also a ballet skier, which were the three events that comprised freestyle skiing. When I started, I later just specialized in moguls, but I was just commenting to someone the other day that, um, even the, like in aerials, particularly, even when I was, you know, uh, like top, you know, six in the world in that event, every time I did a triple twisting, triple backflip, I was like scared. And <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could get myself worked up into a tizzy, uh, over most things. Um, and obviously the less, you know, and the less you've done things, the even more, you know, scared I get. So, but I think that's a, that's something that you learn to manage and, and, and it ultimately, you know, it's a, probably a good thing. You know, it's probably why I'm still alive, um, right now. Mm, keeps you human. Um, 
I'm going to talk more about that as well. And we're going to talk more about 98 and, and, and 2002 and, and a bit of your processes around them. I just want to go back to kind of what you're up to now. And you mentioned starting your own business from scratch. What are some of the biggest challenges you think you've faced so far? Uh, well, we've had, we've had plenty of challenges. I mean, a, you know, just to start with kind of managing, uh, my time, because obviously I have my kind of, uh, core, um, career business, I guess, which is being, um, you know, really in the ski world where I represent a ski resort called Squaw Valley out of Lake Tahoe. And that involves a lot of you know, traveling and promotion, um, stuff that I've been doing for years. I have, um, you know, uh, a deal with Warren Miller, which I narrate a ski film and a deal with Toyota. So kind of like, I guess, to sum it up, managing my, uh, keeping my, my normal, I guess, job going, and then trying to also start something from scratch off the side. Now, granted, I have my wife and we have a partner who are extremely hard workers and diligent. So we, we share all the work, but um, I think that's the hardest thing with trying to start a business is that typically people who are starting a business have a lot of other stuff going on, mm. especially at this age, you know, I'm 41, I have two kids and, and I think most people have so much stuff going on in their life. So to start something at this, you know, stage is, is challenging. And then, um, you know, just to keep yourself motivated and, and, and put, you know, stay, you know, do the extra hours required. And then from a, from a, you know, just a, a nitty gritty standpoint, you know, we have, uh, you know, like the latest issue was, you, you know, for this sunflower seed kernel, you have to get it, you know, once we came up with the recipe from our kitchen, then it was, a matter of getting a woman, you know, we had to get someone to bake them, roast them on a mass scale. And then you have to get someone else to put the, put the seeds in a package, what they call a co-packer. And, you know, right as we're getting to the finish line, our co-packer sort of, you know, decides that we're not quite a big enough client for him and really starts to drag his feet. And uh, so all of a sudden we've got all this invested and now we're, you know, almost looking at not even be able to produce the product for the orders we have. And so, you know, we, we've got it all worked out now and, and for the most part, and we're going to be able to produce, but crisis management in, in an arena where I don't necessarily have a whole lot of pool and a whole lot, I can't, you know, the, the, the person doing this co-packing doesn't care that I'm involved. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Just like, look at, it's like going back, going back to the bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. But is there anything in starting this new business that you have been able to look back on your um, competing career, on your skiing career, that you've been able to take from being an Olympic champion, that have been able to help you push this business forward or or help with some of the challenges you've faced? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I find myself, um, um, you know, when when we're dealing with these, these issues, um, as a team, um, I, and, and my wife is, you know, has, a, has an incredibly strong will and, and, um, is perseveres and very positive And so is our partner, but, um, I see, I see the challenges really bog them down sometimes. And, um, that's when I'll really start to kind of like, um, you know, uh, s- smile because it's, 
those are the those are the points uh, when I was competing when um, I, I I've seen that many times. Like I, I just mm. remember so many points in my career when I felt defeated and um, you know uh, I remember particularly going up to the the first year I went up to the World Cup level. I had uh, I had a lot of success as a youth. You know I mean I knew I really only knew winning. You know I, I'd won pretty much up to age you know, 17. And then when I got on the world cup level, I just got my ass kicked and it was very hard, um, to accept. And I remember, you know, going in the trees and breaking my pole over trees and (laughs) just being very frustrated and, um, having those moments when you were blaming others or blaming conditions. And, um, and then it's like, what do you do in those next moments? You know, how do you kind of refocus and um i remember you know getting close to when i won my first world cup you know that high and then also you know be leading the world cup all the way to the end and then having you know being defeated right at the last in the last race um and dropping back down second in the world and having to deal with the idea that i actually might be really good but I am not a like Olympic champion caliber. Like I'm not on any day of the week. I'm not the guy that is the one is, is you can count on to win. And then what do you do from there? So how do you manage your, you know, how do you, how do you manage your training from there on out to get to that point? And, um, you know, for me, it was kind of having to take a sober look at, um, you know, my skill set and my skill level and then get help, you know, get, get people to help me and, and be very uh, critical of my, my, my technique and break it down to fundamentals if necessary. Um, and then, you know, that worked for me going to 98, we can go on and on and on like that. But yeah, those, those types of things I draw on all the time. Like what do you do in the face of like adversity and, and, uh, and, and that definitely helps. And then, you know, part of my career has also been in the marketing side, um, just because my sport dictates even from age 15 or 16 that you learn to be a self-marketer. Otherwise, you, you can't afford to do it. I mean, you, you're you're from the time I was 16 or 17 years old, I'm soliciting ski companies to help me pay for my my exploits. And, you know, so you become kind of um, uh, you, you get a quick education in branding and marketing and, and how best to market yourself. And so I draw on some of that stuff a lot. And, and that, those, those things I mainly look at, you know, the authenticity, like how do you be authentic? Like I had to kind of learn that along the way by mistakes when I was competing. <clears throat> now, you know, they starting a new, a new venture I can, I can, I'm critical on that right away. Like I'm always looking at that from, from, from day one, from the get go, like, where are we at? Does that really, what can we live with that? Is that something where we believe in is, is it, you know, like, does it taste good? Truly? Does it taste good? You know, stuff like that. Lots of really interesting stuff there, Johnny. And I've got like a thousand questions to go with all of that and bring them down onto lower levels. Let's just continue on. The... I'll try to get I'll try to get briefer, but 
<laughs> no, 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 uh, uh, don't, because it's all so interesting, and I just want to delve deeper and deeper into it, but then I realise we've only got half an hour to, to do that, but... Um, <laughs> let's let's move on then because i think that's the the easiest thing to do and you you were speaking about the the training and and the things that you did and you did become quite the innovator in your sport and what what made you do that when was there a part of you which ever thought you know what i could just do the kind of a certain level and, and still win medals what made you kind of push the barrier further yeah, I uh, I can get pretty um, sort of philosophical on this point because uh, there's there's a few different layers to it. Um, you know, I think I going into the '98 Olympics, um, I like I said, I was I was trying to find. I, I just see winning winning an Olympics is very difficult because it's one race it, 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 on one day. And so you can't be a guy, you know, it, you want to try to get to your, get to a level where you're sort of one of those dominant players and, and, and you can, you know, like a Sergei Shuplatov in my sport where, or Edgar Groperon, where you can look at those guys and you're like, Oh my God, they're going to, they, they're going to pull this off. Like they're going to just do what it takes to win today. And so that was my goal is to try to get to that level and, with skiing, you have um, very, you know, with freestyle skiing, you have the turning part, the technical kind of spot, and then there's that 25% is the jumps. And the jumps is really where, you, you know, the art can come in. And I had been an aerialist, and I had been a ballet skier, and um, going back into my youth, and so I really did like the trick part. I, I, I really, you know, I prided myself on being kind of like, you know, good at tricks. And, 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 um, I also, my brothers, you know, this is where I get philosophical about it. When I think about it, it's going back to my youth, my older brothers were the ones who got me into freestyle. And my oldest brother in particular was, he was like a punk. He was into punk music. He was into skateboarding. He was into surfing. And so, you know, that type of stuff mattered to him. And so then it mattered to me. So the, you know, the, the kind of concept of, of doing stuff that was different and, you know, zigging when other people were zagging was definitely like, I guess, in my, in my blood. And so when, as we got closer to the 98 Olympics, the, there was this small faction of freestyle skiers out of Canada called the Canadian Air Force, JF Cousin, JP Eau Claire. They were mobile skiers and they had just joined the tour because they were younger and they were the ones who started doing these snowboard style moves on their skis. And I was like, Oh dude, I'm into that. I love snowboarding. I, you know, that was that sport. I didn't, you know, all my buddies snowboarded. I'm like, that's cool. We can do that on skis. So I just immediately started gravitating towards those guys and, and picking up some of what they were doing. And then I incorporated it into my run. So, um, I, and then obviously, you know, going fast forward to the, 2002 Olympics with the dinner roll and the off-axis stuff. That was just a continuation of that. That was like, what's my encore going to be? And some of it was want, you know, just ego-driven, right? Like I wanted to be known as like after I quit in '98 and, and uh, the Olympics there, I wanted to do the X Games. I wanted to be involved in what was happening, the new wave of skiing. You know, I was, I, I was wanted to be cool. I mean, I, I had. I, I, where, where are the, where are the chicks, man? I want to be a rock star. And so like a lot of that is just, was just raw, 
you know, ego. And so I was just out there, you know, wanting to be in the mix. And that kind of drove, drove my, my, uh, it drove me to, to, to learn new tricks. And then really the dinner roll, which I created for the only trick I'll say that was actually mine, which was the flat 720. I, I created in order to try to get ready to, to, to contend for a fellow DX games. And, um, it was something that came to me in my mind. I, I love visualizing product. I love visualizing like, like tricks and products and inventions and stuff like that. And so uh, that was a trick that came to me. I was able to get it done on snow. And, and so for me, that was a no brainer to try to bring that into the Olympics in 2002. Um, and, uh, so yeah, it was just, it's just in my nature to try to like, I just, I was brought up that way. That's how, what I like to do is I like to try to reinvent the wheel. Hmm. Well, you said about being a rock star. I watched today, rewatched. Uh, you're, you're running '98, and you're you're running 2002, and I loved how you jumped into the crowd at the end of 2002. It, it felt like a, a rock star jumping into the crowd in the middle of a concert. It was it was fantastic. Um, when I was watching that one in, in 2002, I saw you really kind of pump yourself up at the beginning. And when we were speaking about fear earlier, was that something you would typically do on most of your runs or was that just a particular um, day because you were uh, competing on home soil in front of everyone who wanted to see the dinner roll and everything like that? Or was that what you would do every kind of uh, every run? Yeah, no, um, I, I I know what you're referring to. I think I grabbed my coach and I pulled him back and forth pulled <laughs> towards me. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and uh, uh, thank you for noticing my stage dive at the bottom too. That was my, I was thinking it was the first Olympic stage dive. That was funny because it, you know you're not supposed to leave the arena for drug testing, and I remember the uh, officials coming over and like grabbing me by the back of the shirt and yanking me back into the uh, into the corral because they're afraid someone's going to hand you like a a, a a bottle of fake pee or something. Oh. Um, but so the I I. I preparing to compete is a tricky thing because you practice, you practice, you practice, then you wait around. So like, like getting your heart rate into the right zone is a challenging thing. And, and so a lot of me doing that type of stuff is just trying to get my, make sure I'm not slow out of the gate. Like you can't spend five turns warming up in freestyle. Like your first five turns or everything, like you got to come out swinging basically. So a lot of that is just me trying to get myself like out of, you know, calm some nerves and get myself in competition mode. Um, and shit, I was nervous as hell. You know, I, I mean, I was doing a trick. I, I had literally done probably, you know, 35 times in my life and it was in front of my home crowd and I was coming from the back. So it's not like I was sitting in first and going to defend my title. I was going to uncork something. I was going to have to compete, you know, that's above my ability basically to pull that thing off so yeah that's that's kind of what that was about mm, yeah and i noticed you were even doing some press-ups just before so that's quite interesting about keeping keeping the nerves down yeah that that was that was something my my coach all my coach as a youth started and that was that came from being in lake class in new york and it's 10 below zero and you're you're waiting around and you're 16 years old. You could easily go into a cave and get frozen. But our coach used to make us do push-ups because 
really that gets your core fired up it keeps you loose keeps you warm so that's something i've always done is there anything else in in that day leading up to competing that you would do any any rituals any listening to certain music any superstitions like that yeah i was uh believe it or not i always listened to bob marley um, in both both games and uh you know yeah i had i had real like you know I had a real set sort of routine um, and I would basically stay above the top of the course and I would hike and ski, hike and ski um, at a casual rate. So while you're waiting for your run, I would hike up and make turns and then hike back up again because I just didn't like to get cold. And then there's a point when you, you have to be just standing there because there's, you have to, you're in the queue and you can't really do anything. And, you know, that's when I would just kind of stretch out, put some music on and try to just kind of, uh, you know, visualize that usually I'd visualize like certain points, usually points that I would be trying to work out certain points of the run that I felt were a little bit sketchy. There's always points in the run that are kind of gotcha, gotcha areas, you know, transitions to jumps. And, you know, I would just keep replaying those in my head and do that while I was listening to music. And, and that does pretty much my routine. Discipline I mean, you look back and you're like, holy crap, how do you get that kind of discipline back? You know, and I'm always striving for that in my life. It's, it's a hard thing to get. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. More great knowledge from Johnny Mosley in just a moment, but I wanted to remind you that The Best in the World with Richard Parr is now part of the Sportachino Network. Sportachino produces all kinds of different sports content, mainly a chat show. At the moment, there is a wrestling show, plus the football show will be returning soon. 
I am, of course, your host, and you can watch us on Facebook, on YouTube, on Periscope, and, of course, at sportercino.com. If you go and like the Facebook page, you can be across every single thing that we do. It also means you'll never miss a Best in the World with Richard Park. Go and check it out. All right, let's return to the conversation with the Olympic champion from the 1998 Nagano Games. It's Johnny Mosley. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr. We spoke about you pushing the boundaries of what you could do as far as tricks. And one thing I've read is that you felt that you should have got the officials to put the difficulty level of the dinner roll a little bit higher. You also kind of had to battle to get people and competitors to be able to compete in the X Games and things like that. Did you feel like you were having a constant battle with officials over those years? Yeah. Over those years, I was definitely in a bit of a uh, in a bit of a battle. I, I uh, to me, it was so clear that mogul skiing and freestyle skiing was declining in relevance and popularity, and it was so clear that this we were capable of doing more, and we were uh, capable, and and the sport was changing as well, and it was so it was so apparent to me because I was in the middle of it and I, I had my feet I, I had my you know I was in the mix I, I was hanging out with the kids who were changing it I was one of the ones who was changing it I could see the industry changing all the ski companies the the people who were close to the industry um, supporting it here you have this bureaucracy like the US ski team and and the IOC and the FIS that seem to be completely oblivious to it, or they're not willing to, you know how it is. And, and so that's why it was so easy for me. It wasn't even like a question to me is like, look, this is survival. You guys, you you know, this is, I'm I'm trying to try to help you here, (laughs) you know? Mm -hmm. And, and a lot of it was personal for me too, just because for me, you know, skiing was, it was even, it was a business at that point. And, and, you know, my sort of, my reputation was on the line. My resume was on the line. Like I didn't want to go out as just being known as just a mobile skier. And and this really started back with even before the Olympics in 98, you know, my roommate on tour was a great free skier and had been in ski movies. And, and we wanted to be known as great skiers overall and, and be relevant in the ski industry. And, you know, just being on a mobile tour that only is on TV twice in America makes it very hard to be known. And meanwhile, there was a professional tour happening that was on TV three times a year. Plus those kids could go to the X games and we weren't even allowed to do it. So here you are, I'm coming home from like a rigorous nine, 10, 12 event tour and breaking my, you know, self to, to do well in that. And you come home and you be at a, at a friend's house and there's a cocktail party and there'll be, talking about how this other guy who won the pro tour in the X games is such the best skier in the world, the driving mad. <laughs> so that was where that started. And obviously before the 98 games, I couldn't do much about it, but we tried to let them compete, let us compete in the X games and do all this stuff, but no dice. So after I won the Olympics in 98, that was, it was my mantle. Like who else was going to do it unless it was me. So that was my, 
that was my, I had, I had leverage. So I just was like, see ya, you know, and I'm going to do this. I'm, I'm going, doing the three pro tour events. I'm doing the X games. I'm doing the U S open. I'm filming for ski movies and I'll compete in your world cups if you want me to. Uh, and you know, go, that's, that's cool too, but I'm doing both. And so they acquiesced at that point. Um, however, they did kick me off like, when I, when I wanted to come back in 2000 and when I wanted to come back for the 2002 games, instead of like, you know, that's where they took their port court of blood was basically, they wouldn't give me like full status on the team. They had, they made me go back and re requal reprove myself, give me two events to basically get a podium, which I crashed in the first one and hurt my back. And then the second one, I pulled off a third place and they put me on the team. So yeah, I was, I was not, it, we, it was a little bit of a tough time. I wasn't a fan. And then, of course, as soon as I got back on the team is when I started the the push for the dinner roll for the off-axis seven, and that was a whole new set where I, in that case, this, I had the backing of the ski team, but not the full backing, but, but pretty good. The, my coaches were helping, they were into it, and they were the ones, you know, had, we had to submit it to the International Skiing Federation and um, – and kind of, I knew I wasn't going to get the whole inverted rule change within the year of the Olympics. It would just be too unfair to everybody. But, you know, it got my trick approved. And, um, yeah, and then there's the, you know, what, what happened in the aftermath with the, the points and all that stuff. Mm. Um, did you actually then have an, an official retirement? When did you stop competing properly, Johnny? Yeah, no, I never officially retired. I mean, you know, um, uh, the after the O2 Olympics, um, and just to touch back on that, yes, I, I, I made, you know, I, on the, the fourth place of the O2 Olympics was tough to swallow. I, 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 you know, I could, I was slow. That was clear. I did need the point. In hindsight, yes, I wish I would have argued that the point value should have been higher than what's called a quad twister which you know all the other guys did and because just you're able to ski so much faster into a quad twister than you are into the trick i was doing so in hindsight that would have been one thing i would have changed but overall it, that's kind of a just a touchback on what you said hmm. so after o2 um I, I stopped competing i uh i never really like went in and said i'm officially retiring i guess um what happened there I, uh, I guess in my mind, I knew I was kind of done. I had, uh, uh, I don't think I ever intended on competing past that. I, I didn't make an official announcement about it. Um, I went and started what happened right after the Olympics. I hosted Saturday night live, which was in conjunction with NBC's coverage. And while I was in New York, I got a call, right after the Saturday night live ended, I got a call from the, uh, MTV guys, and they was like, we saw you want to try out for the show. So then they hired me for this reality show, the Real World Road Rules Challenge. And so I was just kind of taking my usual break after the Olympics, um, and uh, so I did that show. And then I got asked to give the commencement at Berkeley. And after the Berkeley commencement, I had been tried to go back to school after the '98 Olympics, but um, bailed. So this time around, I was like, yeah, maybe they'll let me in there. So I asked if I could send in a resume, and they said, yeah, go ahead, or an application. And so then I got into Cal, and then I just started going to school. And I was still kind of trying to maintain 
my ski career, but not competing. I was doing, um, you know, like filming and stuff like that. And, but I just pretty much quit there. That, mm. that was pretty much, that was, that was pretty much the end of it. I, I just didn't see myself. I was kind of done. I just, I, I, I was, I, I was having a hard time because I definitely left one on the table, you know, but I kind of, I was like, if I don't go back to school now, I'm never going to do it. If I do another, it's like, if I can do one more games probably, but uh, you know, I didn't really have it. The fire burning in me, you know, was that more to do with the fact that you'd already succeeded of winning in, um, in 98 or was there a little bit part of you thinking, you know what? I've I've done my hardest, and actually, I feel a little bit let down by the organising bodies. They didn't give a high enough mark um, in two thousand and two, or or was it just I'm actually just enjoying all of these things? And you know what? I can just continue to ski, earn some money, do some new things. Was it more? What what, what was there? One thing the most, or was it just the combination of everything? Yeah, I I. I think you hit on uh, the third thing there was, I believe, the most um, prominent thing in my mind. I was thinking to myself, I've got a lot of time. I, I've, got a, I've got a life to live here, and I think I'm going to need to do something else anyway. Like, skiing was good to me um, as a career, but I'm like, I, I, I'm might i'm probably gonna have to do another something else with my life like a job you know a job or whatever um i didn't know how long i'd be able to sort of milk this for so and maybe i'll find another interest like maybe i will get interested in something else um so but if i'm gonna do that i need to start now because i'm already whatever i was 26 27 like if i spend another four or five years figuring out what i'm gonna do by that time i'm 30 and then you know, this is all young person stuff. Now I'm looking back like, yeah, oh, Jesus, I was young. I had plenty of time. <laughs> but my thinking was, my thinking was like, whatever it's going to be that I'm going to do next, like I got to get started on it now. That, that was my, I felt like my, my biggest, what, at least the rationale I was, I was using. And yes, of course there's, like you said, there's an element of just being, of not having to do all the, you know, get off the road, the travel, the, the you know, the, the jumps, like, you know, the, one of the things that started to, to leave me was the desire to do new tricks and, you know, really take the hits it requires to be relevant in, in freestyle skiing and free skiing. Um, and so, you know, once that kind of leaves you, when you get tired of hitting your head and getting hurt, that's, it makes it really hard to get back in there. So those are the kind of the two things, the two key factors, I think, um, uh, truthfully. Mm. Well, it's been really good to talk to you, Johnny. I think we've definitely learned a lot. There's so many interesting facets of your life, and I'm really excited for your business and your new uh, web series. Um, just before you go, why don't you tell us how we can continue to follow your journey on social media and online, and also any links to anything you want to share with us, Johnny? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, yeah, absolutely. So the, the, uh, the web series, uh, is, it's just called Johnny Mosley's wildest dreams. And you can just find that pretty much anywhere on the web. It's, uh, it's sponsored by, uh, visit California, which is California's marketing arm. So we're really hitting all the 
locations throughout California to do these different adventures that, you know, we come up with. Oh, superb. Um, yeah, that's going to be kind of cool. And it's, I tell you what, it's, it, web series are great because I can talk to someone like you. It's international and, and still promote it because it's great. It's going to just, it's out there. You just Google it in and you'll find it. Mm. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of this stuff, uh, you know, I, I promote via my, my social channels. I'm on Instagram as Johnny Mosley, just J O N N Y M O S E L E Y Facebook as well. Same with Twitter, same thing. Um, and then, uh, yeah, if you, uh, if you want to check out the seed, that's, mightyiota.com mightyiota m-i-g-h-t-y and you're going to have to type it in because I'm just learning about CRM etc so we're getting there um, getting getting it up to the top of the page uh, so yeah those are the two exciting things I also narrate the Warren Miller film which is a great action sports ski film that comes out every year that I ski in and um, yeah I think that that pretty much sums it up you can always get me at johnnymosley.com as well that's kind of just my my archaic website that will direct you to all these places as well wonderful well i'll make sure we put the correct links to all of it on the notes page of this podcast when it goes out it's been really good to speak to you johnny and really good to learn from you and thank you for being the best in the world hey thank you richard you're the best the best in the world podcast with richard parr Yes, that was a great chat with Johnny Mosley talking about freestyle skiing. But if you're into cross-country skiing, you might want to go back and listen to my conversation with Charlotte Caller. Yes, the cross-country skier has been on the program on The Best in the World. We learned a lot from her, so go back and listen to that. Of course, if you are interested in winter sports, we've had lots of amazing athletes from the world of the Winter Olympics. Maybe you want to go back and listen to the speed skater Chad Hedrick. He's been on the program, a really insightful conversation with him. We've also spoken to the curling world champion, Eve Muirhead. She's been on the Best in the World with Richard Park. Go back and listen to them. And you can do that by going to acast.com forward slash best. That's acast.com forward slash best. Also, all of the episodes are on iTunes, so please subscribe to the page. Subscribe to The Best in the World with Richard Parr and give us a rating and review, please. Pretty please. I've asked nicely. If you haven't already, please give us a rating and review. I would really appreciate that. And we've got lots of other guests that you can listen to. Maybe if you're into cricket, you want to listen to the former Pakistan player, Akib Javed. He's been on The Best in the World with Richard Parr. We've also spoken to Matt Langridge, the Olympic champion rower. We've spoken to Michelle Carter, the shot put Olympic champion. We've had so many fantastic guests on The Best in the World with Richard Parr, and we have learnt a lot from them. So go back and listen to them and tell your friends about it. Tweet them. Say, I listened to this really good episode. I think you should listen to it too. Please go and do that. Please spread and share the love and the learning with the people around the world on The Best in the World. All right, I've been Richard Parr. I hope you have a wonderful week and next week we'll be speaking to another Olympic champion, world champion, world record holder or world number one because they are the best in the world. Have a great week. Goodbye. The Best in the World podcast with Richard Parr.
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.